Hi, this is Ben Zorns with Ellerslie Mission Society. This message by Pastor Eric Ludy was given at the Church of Ellerslie in lovely Windsor, Colorado. It is our hope and prayer that this message would convict, inspire, and invigorate your pursuit of the Lord Jesus Christ. We also want you to know that should you ever have any questions or comments regarding any of the ministries here at Ellerslie, we are always happy to provide answers and receive feedback. Simply contact us at info at ellerslie.com or give us a call at 970-686-9022. We really would love to hear from you. Enjoy the message and may your faith and love in Jesus grow larger as you listen. Now here's Pastor Eric Ludy. The soldier's life. Most of us would shy away from the soldier's life. We're not necessarily naturally attracted to it. And we're just glad that someone else is out there being a soldier. And, you know, if there was ever a time of crisis or war, we are just so glad that there's some military force. And there's these guys that graduate from high school. I don't know if you've ever run into them. They're like, I want to go to the military. You're like, good, good, go, go. <laughs> you see, we're happy that some people feel called to that. We're just not one of them. What is it that drives someone to be a military man or a woman? It's just, it's a different mentality than most of us can understand. I, whenever it gets to tax time, I always think the same thing about accountants. It's like, who in the world wants to be an accountant? And yet there are people out there that love it. They really do. And I've actually talked to them about this. So you really love this. It's not just that you got stuck doing this. No, I love it. It's like, oh, great. And so where many of us think that being a soldier is one of those things that maybe a few of us will be, the more you begin to understand the Christian life, you have to come to grips with the fact that every single one of us is enlisted. The moment we come to Jesus Christ, we are brought into a military unit. Uh, that's a little awkward. It's like, hey, I didn't sign up for this. Are you sure about that? Didn't you give your life to Jesus? Yeah, but just to be a Christian, not to be a soldier. Well, what's the difference? Whoever told you that there was a difference? We are called to be soldiers. Oh, that sounds sort of cheesy, you know, because we've, we've grown up with the plastic armor of God, you know, where the little kids wear the plastic armor of God and have their swords, and it's the sword of the Spirit. And it's lost its mature understanding where we realize that we really are in a battle. And if you are not drawing your sword, if you do not have your armor on, you're a dead man or a dead girl. And so as a result, this is imperative. Every single one of us needs to learn how to live the soldier life. And yet what it says in Scripture and what we even know in reality is a soldier doesn't have the same flexibility that everyone else that is unlisted has. You see, if you're just an everyday American, you can go about your day and live your life as you see fit. But a soldier doesn't live as he sees fit. He lives as he is told. He sleeps where he is told. He goes where he's told. He heeds the commands of the officer above him. Wow, that sounds a little restrictive. Oh, yeah. But in the kingdom of heaven, it's life and life abundant. So there's going to be maybe a little argument in your soul as we begin to progress through this because you want your liberties or the liberties as you see them. But what Jesus Christ does is he sets us at liberty to truly live. You see, we are either under the control of the flesh and the old man, or we're under the control of the Spirit of God. You choose. 
You will be ruled. You will be controlled by something. You just thought you were free. But what the gospel explains is that actually what you're wanting to do, what you think is you being in control is actually you being enslaved. So what God does is he sets us free from that to come under a new control, a new commander, a new general. His name is Jesus Christ. Watch ye, stand fast in the faith, quit you like men, be strong. Did you know that it's a command to all of the women in here to quit you like men? You know what that means? Be a man. Well, that's awkward. I'm a girl, and we're very happy that you are. You see, this is speaking to that dimension of the soul where there's a certain behavior that we just understand that men are supposed to have. Men are supposed to rise up and be strong at the moments of battle. When that big meanie, that's the way we say it in the Ludi house, comes knocking on the Ludi door and says, hey, I want to come in and hurt someone. Well, Eric, if he's going to be a man, doesn't hide behind Leslie. I don't say, Hudson, could you take care of this? I don't say, hey, guys, I'm going to have to go, you know, down into the basement, just sort of look around a little. Could you take care of this? I don't go into hiding. What I say is, Leslie, take the kids down into the basement. My knees may be knocking, but if I'm going to quit myself like a man, I make sure they're protected and I go to that door to meet the challenge. Gulp. I'm not saying you feel strong in it. I'm saying that's what a man does. Okay? So, ladies, quit you like men. Be strong. There is a battle, and you're in the midst of it. There is a challenge, and you're in the midst of it. Do not run and hide. Do you not know the position of a soldier? If a soldier in a time of battle runs and hides, how do you think the battle's going to go? We lose. In other words, a, a soldier, and the whole concept of a brave-hearted soldier is one that does not run from the battle even though everyone else around him does. That's a brave-hearted soldier. A brave-hearted soldier is willing to stand, even though bullets are flying and everyone else is screaming and running, to stand all alone. Welcome to the soldier life. The heavenly soldier. This is just a very simple definition for you. One set apart for the uncommon work. A soldier does work that other people don't do. Just, there's certain job descriptions that we're just happy to have someone else do, and a soldier is one of those types of people. They do what we could call the dirty work. They do the challenging work that we just want to act as Americans that it doesn't really exist. We try and act like soldiers aren't really needed. We don't understand battle. We don't understand the uncommon work. It is... Very challenging for any soldier that has ever gone through battle, that has ever had to even shoot his weapon at someone else. It is a trauma to the soul. It is a very difficult work, and it is not something that most of us ever just raise our hands and say, I would love to do that. But a heavenly soldier is one set apart for the uncommon work, the consecrated. And consecrated means with separation, con meaning with and secreted with separation. They are set apart from normal society. They're a soldier. The happy sufferer. Did I just put that in the list? A soldier, a heavenly soldier, is the happy sufferer. They love their job. See, most of us are already starting to feel sorry for the soldiers. Like, oh, those poor guys, they got sent off to do this terrible work. They love it. A heavenly soldier loves his job description. There's no complaining. They love to do the uncommon work. This is what they're alive for. And so it's the happy sufferer. 
The one made ready to be joyfully spent for the sake of Jesus Christ. Now, what I'm describing here is very different than the modern-day soldier. Most soldiers are struggling with depression when they're over in the Middle East right now. It's, there's a high suicide rate. There's a high depression rate. It's misery. I'm not talking about that sort of soldier. I'm talking about the heavenly one. I'm talking about the version that God builds. Prepared for the uncommon work. So in Exodus 29, you have the setting apart of a group of people amongst the Jews. So in the Jewish culture, in the world of Israel, you have 12 tribes. And these 12 tribes are divided up, and each of them sort of have their position, and they are actually all going to be bequeathed a certain property or, or land in the land of Canaan. But before all that, these tribes, there is one tribe that is specially selected and given a set-apart job for an uncommon work, and they're the priests. But it's the tribe of Levi. And in this tribe, you have the high priest, which is Aaron, and then you have the rest of the Levites that are specially selected as the priests. In Exodus 29, you have the consecration ceremony of these priests. So this is literally them being set apart for a very, very uncommon and special work. What is their special work? To do the ministry of the temple of God. Do you know what you're being set apart for? When you come unto Jesus Christ, when you come unto Aaron the high priest, or we could call him Jesus the high priest, when we come unto Jesus the high priest, he separates us out from normal living, from common life, to live an uncommon life. And this is the ceremony. Then thou shalt kill the ram and take of his blood. Well, who's the ram? Jesus. And take of his blood and put it upon the tip of the right ear of Aaron and upon the tip of the right ear of his sons and upon the thumb of their right hand and upon the great toe of their right foot and sprinkle the blood upon the altar round about. Well, that's a little strange. So they're supposed to take of the blood of this sacrifice ram and smear it on the right ear. The right side of the body in the Hebrew culture is the side of control, the side of authority, the side of dominion, the side of power and strength. So you're supposed to take the side of strength and smear it with blood. Take the right ear. Why would you take the ear? Well, this is where you hear. What does a soldier need? He needs to heed the word of his commander. And so what this is called is the consecrated ear. Has your ear ever been consecrated? where your commander can say whatever he wants to you. When you come to the word of God, you already have a consecrated ear. Most of us have never gone through the consecration. Oh, we believe in Jesus and he's a wonderful guy, but have we ever submitted our right ear and say, said, you can have it? You know what that means? That means whatever he tells you from that moment forward, your answer is already pre-decided. It's the pre-decided, yes, Lord. Whatever you ask, Lord. Your ear is his now. And that means you've already said, what you ask of me, I will obey. Do you remember the pierced ear of the bondservant? It's the one who willingly returns to the house and says, out of love, I desire to serve you for life. And the first symbol of that servanthood is that that servant is taken to the doorpost and his ear is pierced with an awl. His right ear is pierced with an awl to say, I have an ear for my master. Do you remember Revelation when John says, he who has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. We're all like, I have ears. Do you have a consecrated ear? 
Because it's only the consecrated ear that will hear what the Spirit says unto the church. It's only the consecrated ear that will heed what the general has to say. So many of us in the church today have diminished the word of God, and we do not have an ear for it. When it speaks, we justify why it doesn't match us. Oh, that's just a cultural statement. It doesn't actually affect us today. Or does it? He who has an ear, let him hear. So the blood needs to be smeared on the right ear. And then the right thumb. Again, this is a side of strength and control. Can you think of a better symbol in the body for control? This is the grip. This is your grip. And God says, could I have your grip? You see, if you're going to be my soldier, if you're going to be my saint, if you're going to be my priest, I need that right ear and I need that thumb. My control? Uh, God, what are you going to do then? If you have the control of my life, I, I would sort of like to keep that. Couldn't you just have my ear and I'll keep the thumb? Uh, you need the whole kit and caboodle to be given over to Jesus Christ. What's your right thumb doing today? Has it been smeared with blood? And then the right great toe. Isn't that funny? Wouldn't that be an awkward thing? You're like removing your sock and sticking it up there. It's just, it doesn't even crack a smile when it says, yeah, I need that right toe. Why? Why do you need my toe? That's just sort of strange. Well, your toe is what you lead with. It defines where you go in this life. And God says, I now define that. You see, this is the ceremony for a priest, but I tell you what, this is the ceremony for a soldier. This is our job. The Levites did not inherit land in the, la in the land of promise. They didn't get a parcel of land. They got something better. They share in a greater ministry. And do you know that you are like that? You did not receive any inheritance in the land of promise and yet you receive something far greater. You receive what the Levites received. You receive the inheritance of the ministry of the temple of God. And Paul says, do you not know that you are that temple? Did you not know that that is you? You are the sons of the high priest Jesus Christ. And he has been consecrated and set apart for a very special and uncommon work. And you have been grafted into that work. And now, your right ear is needed, your right thumb is needed, and your right great toe. So, you call yourself a Christian. You ready to be a Christian? You ready to start functioning as a Christian? A Christian is set apart. A Christian is set apart for uncommon work. The soldier's name. In our American society, we call him G.I. Joe. So, I'm going to give you a name for a soldier but it's not G.I. Joe. That's just American. So strangely, it's not G.I. Joe. What would the name of the soldier be in Scripture? Now, Eric's taking a few liberties in this, so I just had to prepare you for that. Building the soldier's name. I'm going to give you two Hebrew roots, and we're going to build a soldier's name. So the first one is Ur, or Or. Flame, light of fire, brightness, and revelation, mixed with Yah, which is Jeho Yahweh or Jehovah in shortened form. And so the name Yahweh is, of course, one of my favorite things. It's like I'm, I'm a moth to the flame whenever I get close to that topic. It means he is. It comes from that root of the proper name of God when he says, I am that I am. And the short way of saying that is Yahweh, which means he is. And so the shortened version of that is Yah. And you'll hear that in all sorts of Jewish names. Elijah and Hallelujah. That's like, praise the Lord, it's hallelujah. And so what we have is 
or plus yah. And what do we get? We get the Israeli G.I. Joe. His name is Uriah. That's what it is. It means flame of Yahweh, the fire of Jehovah, the fiery brightness of the I am. Oh! So, you know what's amazing is if you're a soldier in America, you're considered a G.I. Joe. That's the same thing with the kingdom of heaven. You want to be a Uriah? Just join the military of Jesus Christ, and that's your name. You're a flame of Jehovah. You are the fiery instrument to reveal the brightness of his glory in this generation. Oh, I love this. Uriah the Hittite. You guys ever heard of that guy? You know that since his name is associated with a fairly dark story in, in Jewish history, we oftentimes skip over this guy. However, it's not an accident that God introduces us to this character. You know that Uriah the Hittite is listed amongst David's 37 most mighty men? He's the 37th one. He's on the list. This is one of David's mighty men. David, when he fell into sin with Bathsheba, wanted to somehow cast the, any thought that Bathsheba's pregnancy was his fault. So he called Uriah the Hittite back home from war, hoping that somehow... He could sort of convince Uriah that he was the father of the child. I won't go into any more detail than that. So I'm going to call Uriah the Hittite the model soldier. Second Samuel. And David sent to Joab saying, send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent Uriah to David. And when Uriah was come unto him, David demanded of him how Joab did and how the people did and how the war prospered. And David said to Uriah, go down to thy house. See, what's David saying? Take it easy tonight. You see, you've been working hard as a soldier. I want you to take it easy. I want you to go down to your house. Wash thy feet. And Uriah departed out of the king's house, and there followed him a mess of meat from the king. Oh, and eat to your heart's content. What's interesting is you know who trained Uriah the Hittite? David, the soldier. Everything that you're going to see in Uriah's response is the way David taught him. It sort of backfired on David. And there followed him a mess of meat from the king, but Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of the Lord and went not down to his house. And when they had told David, saying, Uriah went not down into his house, David said unto Uriah, Camest thou not from thy journey? Why then didst thou not go down unto thine house? And Uriah said unto David, what an answer. The ark and Israel and Judah abide in tents, and my lord Joab and the servants of my lord are encamped in the open field. Shall I then go into mine house and eat and drink and lie with my wife? As thou livest and thy soul liveth, I will not do this thing. We just discovered a model soldier. This is an amazing statement. And very few of us are that interested in applying it to our lives. And yet, we're in the midst of a battle. How can we think of our gratification at a time like this? When all our fellow soldiers are lying in the open field, the ark of God is hanging in the balance and vulnerable. Oh no. We sleep at the king's door with all the other servants. What a statement. And David said to Uriah, tarry here today also and tomorrow I will let thee depart. So Uriah abode in Jerusalem that day and the morrow. 
And it came to pass in the morning that David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. And he wrote in the letter saying, set ye Uriah in the forefront of the hottest battle and retire ye from him that he may be smitten and die. This is a terrible story of, in David's legacy. David actually is responsible for the murder, not just of a man, but one of the greatest men in Israel. A man of such nobility and honor, a true soldier of honor. You know that Uriah doesn't say that he even questioned. He was stuck into the hottest part of the battle and everyone retreated from him and he was left there to die. He did exactly what he was asked to do. Are you a Uriah? Are you a flame of Yahweh? Are you a picture of the brightness of his glory? Well, that's sort of a hard question to answer because we feel rather feeble in our illustration of Almighty God, don't we? And yet... This is what you're called to be. We're all called to be G.I. Joes, or for our message, Uriahs, or Yahs, flames of God. Are you sleeping at the king's door? So I'm going to go through a quick list here of what we could call the, the scale of how many of us are associated with the battle. Okay, have you guys ever heard of a POW, a prisoner of war? Well, I know it sounds strange that someone could ever be a contented POW. You are captured, you're living in the enemy's prison camp, and you're contented? Yeah. There's many people on this earth that fall into this category. They don't even realize that they're imprisoned. Somehow there's some numbing agent upon their soul. Sin does some bewitching thing to them. And they actually have pleasure in the prison camp. They're dying. They're miserable. Their life is being tormented and it will continue to be tormented for all of eternity. And yet they seem numb to it. They don't seem to realize where they're at. They're totally happy in the prison camp. It's so strange. It doesn't even make any sense for those of us that have awakened to the fact that we're in the prison camp. So we'll call that the happy sinner. You know that sin, there truly is a pleasure associated with it for a season. However, that season does come to an end. Any of you that have lived in that season can attest to these things. Yeah, it was pleasurable, and then it dissipates. And that's the funny thing about sin is it can't stop its downward pull. If sin could have its way, it would just keep you happy until you go to hell. But it can't do that. Sin can't stop the downward, downward spiral in your life. And pretty soon, the veneer of sin fades away and you begin to become very discontented. So we'll call this the restless POW. You've been sitting in that prison chamber for quite a long time and now suddenly, the chains are getting heavy and you realize you even have them on. It's like, how did I get here? And you begin to realize the food no longer tastes good to you. Something's wrong. What am I doing here? How did I get here? And yet you begin to realize you can't get out. Something's awakening inside of you. You see, you are being wooed to the reality of the truth. The law is a schoolmaster which is leading you to Jesus Christ. You have violated the law. Look at you. You're in chains. You didn't even realize those chains. But suddenly they're feeling very heavy. And you've been awakened to the reality of it. We'll call this the miserable sinner. And most of us have had to pass through the door of being a miserable sinner before we came to Jesus Christ. The desperate POW. What happens is you continue in your chains to try and get out of your chains. You conspire ways to escape from this prison. 
You know, with your little spoon, you try and dig a hole, but it's really hard with these chains on you. And there's no escape. You know, you've seen all those little prison escape movies, and so you have all your thoughts of what you can do, but guess what? You're surrounded by diamond. You can't dig through it with your little plastic spoon. You can't break these chains. You're not just a prisoner. You're a prisoner forever. And now something is awakening you. It's a horror of your state. It's not just a restlessness. It's a horror. It's the recognition of the flames of hell. And you're beginning to even feel them. So we'll call this the sinner in search of a savior. What must I do to be saved? Where does that come from? Well, it's a work of grace. You see, if the enemy could keep you the happy sinner, he'd be very happy. He can't do it. As a result, the Spirit of God leverages your misery against your soul for his benefit and for your salvation. What must I do to be saved? Now we have the man or the woman who comes to the cross. Here they are, they're in prison, but that prison has actually now awakened them to their need of a savior. So we'll call this the free man. The shackles have fallen off. The door to the prison is opened. Now, this is where many of us find ourselves today. You know Jesus, but you don't know why you were set free. You're just happy to be set free. So this is the sinner transformed by the Savior. Now, this is what many of us have been introduced to. And I'm going to call it the begrudging soldier. It's like, what? Are you, I, I'm just happy to be free. You see, you're looking for the common life. You just want to be out of the chains, but you still want to live life on your terms. Isn't that a funny statement? Jesus Christ gave everything for you, but you're still somehow wanting to negotiate terms where you can live life your way. I, I want to be a Christian, don't get me wrong. And I, I, I love Jesus, but can I love Jesus and keep my right ear, my right thumb, and my right toe to myself? Uh, <clears throat> no. You will, be, um, you will be mastered by something. And when you are set free from sin, you must submit and come under the rulership of Jesus Christ. You cannot play the middle. You need an ear to hear what the Spirit says to the church. Otherwise, you will only hear what the flesh woos you back to the vomit that you just came from. You must come under the authority of Jesus Christ and his word. But many of us, we can be called the begrudging soldier. It's because we haven't yet learned the life of the Spirit. The flesh voice is still very loud in us. It's saying, oh, you don't want to go there. Oh, yeah, there's many Christians that have tried to go there, and I tell you what, they lose all sense of identity. They lose all pleasure in life. I mean, they're just miserable. It's just legalism. You see, the Spirit of God is wooing you, but there's still a hesitancy within you. However, have you noticed that many of you still take a step forward? Yeah, you're like, all right, God. All right, I will be a soldier. That's not the sort of soldier he's looking for. Have you ever seen those soldiers that love to go to battle? I, I remember reading this novel. It's called With Fire and Sword. It's the story of Polish history. It sounds boring. It's great stuff. And these men, over the winter, when it wasn't battle time, would just ache and long for battle. And they loved their commander, Prince Jeremy. They loved to serve him. They wanted to go fight for him and for the glory of Poland. And I remember thinking as I was reading that, I am so far removed from that thinking. 
I have no interest in battle, no interest in going out and fighting. I mean, I was so opposite of that. And what I've realized is that in this culture, there's a deadening. We oftentimes are focused on seeking comfort. We are not seeking about progressing a kingdom. We have no agenda outside of our own skin and what would bring us some type of temporal satisfaction. A soldier has a bigger vision. A soldier recognizes the significance of his position and cherishes it. So the begrudging soldier is usually the fearful follower. It's like, what are we getting into? Who are we fighting? I don't really know how to use that weapon. Uh, Where are we going? All sorts of questions. And we have the ones that have oftentimes matured to the point where they no longer complain. They just accept the duty of being a soldier. All right? Hey, guys, yeah, you know, we just can't get out of it. We're soldiers for Jesus Christ. Let's just go up and do our job. All right? It's like, and then the younger begrudging ones are like asking questions. Hey, just buck up and go. Okay? We don't ask questions. We just follow the commander. You know, God's still not looking for that sort of soldier. It's a little upgrade, I have to admit. But there is something else that God is looking for. And many of us have never made it past the begrudging or the dutiful soldier state. We're willing. God, I'm, I'm, I'm willing. How many of us have said that? That's a scary statement. You hear about North Korea? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm willing. Please don't ask me, but I'm willing. You see, we're willing, but we're not enthusiastic. We don't actually want the commission. I remember the Cambridge Seven. C.T. Studd was one of the Cambridge Seven, and they went over to serve under Hudson Taylor in China. And Hudson Taylor was explaining to them that there was a part of China that was extremely dangerous, and they needed the witness of Christ in it. So he was talking to the seven that had just arrived. He says, I need two of you. And I tell you what, those men, every single one of them was like, pick me. Pick me. Uh, Didn't you hear me correctly? You most likely will die. This is the hardest part of China. Pick me. Is that us? No. See, something's wrong with us. This message is called the soldier's life. It's a change of mentality to begin to match with the word of God and the way he builds his soldiers instead of the way America would build its soldiers. We're not just fulfilling a duty. We're following the one we love to make known to others how lovely he is. You see, we don't fight against flesh and blood. We're not shooting guns. We're seeing souls set free. For the lamb that was slain is worthy to receive the reward of his suffering. So here we are. We arrive at the other end of the spectrum. Do you remember the previous end of the spectrum was the happy sinner? Now we have the happy sufferer. Uh, Is that even a real thing? That's what the Bible talks about. In fact, once you start to understand the true soldier and the happy sufferer, the New Testament will begin to make sense to you. You read through the New Testament, you're like, what causes these people to sing in prison? Well, they're the happy sufferers. They're not begrudging. They're not just dutiful. They're joy-filled. Please choose me. Send me to the uttermost. They don't know Jesus. I want to go. The happy sufferer. So the happy sinner versus the happy sufferer. Death unto life. Most of us find ourselves somewhere in between. You see, the cross is what begins to change the day for us. But many of us just want the chains off. 
We don't want to have to submit to military duty. And yet, to truly know your king, you need to be where he is. And he's not stationary. He's mobile. And he's going into all this earth to preach the gospel. He's looking for the lowest place, and he says, well, aren't you coming with me? We're like, oh, it's dirty in there. That's dangerous. He says, this is where I'm going. You want to know your king, you go where your king goes. This is the principle of knowing Christ. This is the principle of following him. This is the principle of intimacy. You go where your commander goes. The four lessons of boot camp. Now, I've never been through boot camp, and I know there's a few of you in here that have, and so this might seem like I'm a little out of school giving some information about things that I really don't know. I did go through freshman orientation at college. (laughs) When I showed up as a soccer player, I tell you what, they looked at me and just smirked, and I think they took out every uh, bit of machismo that they had on me. I was one of those guys that did not like to be subjected to the... I mean, there was a football player who was at least one year older than me because he was marching around acting like he was the boss. And he was the kicker for the football team, which I have all sorts of stories with this guy. Uh, if you've, I don't know if you've heard any of the others. But he's shorter than me. He's marching around and he's telling me what to do. And I'm thinking, first of all, soccer players and football players don't always get along. And we as soccer players used to always say we could beat up a football player anytime. You know, this is just the attitude. So I come to college with this attitude, and I got this little punk football player yelling at me, telling me what to do. And so I made the mistake of eyeballing. You guys ever heard of that? Where I looked at him sort of like, you don't know who you're messing with. I'm a soccer player. (laughs) So it wasn't just me that got 100 push-ups. It was everyone that got 100 push-ups thanks to this punk who eyeballed. I think my whole group ended up giving, oh, I don't know, 1,000 push-ups thanks to my eyeballing. This was really hard. You see, I was not built to serve. I was built for me. And I wasn't used to this. Boot camp doesn't go over very well for people like me. There is a need for every single one of us in the church to go through this spiritually. To begin to realize we are not the center. Our arrogance and our pride needs to be bent. I'm not saying the military does it perfectly. However, they're on to something. To say we need a troop of men that when we're in a time of need, when I say go, you go. You don't question, you don't eyeball, you don't have a stiff neck, you go. Because all of our lives depend on it. And if you say no, all of us end up suffering for it. Thanks, Ludie. We just got a thousand push-ups thanks to your arrogance and pride. Well, that'll start to make it ship-shape pretty quick. The four lessons of boot camp, the introduction to the uncommon life. You are not the big shot here. Doesn't this sound like you just arrived in, in boot camp? You are not the big shot here. Now, it's not that you showed up thinking you were the big shot. You didn't even know you had the thought. However, you do think of yourself as special, and you expect people to treat you a certain way. We're Americans. We expect good customer service. And so we show up at boot camp, and we're expecting them to build it around our comforts, our likes. Ask us questions. What kind of food do you like, Eric? Well, I'll tell you. I really like a good filet mignon. (laughs) They don't care. In fact, it's past dinner time, and I haven't eaten for quite some time. 
They don't care. They're not even asking me how I feel about that. You are not the center of the universe. And until you realize that in God's military, it's him that is the center. We are about him. Every baby that comes flying out of the womb starts with the mentality that they are the center. I don't know that it's an out loud thought in their brain. However, feed me. Build your life around me. I'll tell you how to run this home. You build it around my uh, opinions, my likes, dislikes. And if you don't, I'm going to scream. And if you don't train that child to realize the center of the home is not the parents either. The center of the home is not the other kids. The center of that home is Jesus Christ. That's what we train our children so that when they get to this point, they're not the big shot. They're not the center. No eyeballing. It's really hard. By the way, I don't know how many of you guys have ever been in these situations, but it is really hard not to eyeball when someone is yelling at you. I mean, you just, we can say a lot with our eyeballs. My mom used to always, because she would be giving me some form of a lecture, you know how moms can do that, and I would roll my eyes, or I would do something, and she would get mad at me. And I remember thinking, and I even said this out loud, I didn't say anything. She's like, you said it with your eyes. <laughs> oh, I didn't know eyes could betray me, but they can. They, they show defiance. Your eyes determine humility in your soul. You can read it. And when you are humble, have you ever noticed what a, a dog even does when it's humble? Its tail goes between its legs. Not many of us want to take that position before the word of God. When the word of God speaks, we immediately submit. We do not eyeball. We do not say, yeah, right, as if I'm going to do that. Oh, no. You see, we have entered the military, and we know our position, and that is to be subservient to something higher. It is not about us. We are not the big shot here on campus. No eyeballing. No eye rolling. And then what we also find is no eye shutting. It's like, oh, I'm so tired. No eye shutting. You see, your commander says we still have a job to do. When you're in the midst of the fight, that isn't the time to lay down and go to sleep. You could have been fighting for 36 hours straight, and the enemy just keeps coming in waves. But still... No eye shutting. This is the hour to prove you. And so boot camp starts that process to say, go beyond this. You keep going. You do not listen to your flesh. Do not listen to what your body is craving right now. Your commander says it's still time to swing. You must continue right now. You see, God is a very gracious general. He is. But he means business. And he knows how he must train his saints to be soldiers. My crazy dream. You know where this message came from? It came from a dream. I don't, I, I always tell the Ellerslie students, I don't always have dreams, and then it always seems like I'm whipping out a dream. And my dreams are usually just funny. And so, and this is actually somewhat of a funny dream, but I had it from Sunday night going into Monday. And so Monday morning is typically when I'm laying my life before God and saying, God, prepare a message within me. And all week long, he's working on me in certain ways. And so this was almost like his advanced notion of what this week was going to be about. And my whole week has been about this theme. And so I had a dream. And in this dream, Eric Ludy joins the army. Aren't you guys interested to see what happens? So I wrote it out for you. In my dream, I decided that I want to, wanted to join the army. I don't know where that thought came from, but uh, I did. 
However, before I could join, I had to first ensure that my work with the Army would still allow me to fulfill my commitments to the Ellerslie College and Church. Man, I got a job to do here. So I need to also, I want to be in the Army, but, so this was my criteria. Uh, so as the dream unfolded, I showed up at an Army recruitment desk. I mentioned to the officer sitting behind the desk that I would like to join the Army, but that I already had other commitments. I explained these other commitments, and he seemed very excited to have me join and said that we could certainly make it work. So he's like, yeah, I understand you're, you're a leader over here. And so he's going to sort of, yeah, yeah, we can, we can pull that off. In the dream, I thought to myself, I bet they are desperate for strong leaders like me. <laughs> so I'm thinking, yeah, they must be desperate if they're allowing me to keep my previous commitments and allow me to come on. So I'm, yeah, I bet they're just needing some good, strong men in there. So from there, I was invited into a big courtyard where 80 men were waiting. Almost immediately upon my arrival into the courtyard, an officer stood up in front of everyone and began talking. He mentioned the various places the 80 recruits surrounding him were from. I guess that he may have heard about my special circumstances and my willingness to serve in the army, even though I was already busy running a college and a church. And as a result, he might happen to mention it to the other men as a good example. And I'd like to thank uh, Eric Ludy over here for being willing to just serve his country the way he is. You see... I know this sounds terrible because I'm just telling you these weird thoughts. I, I wake up from certain dreams and you feel like you just watched yourself behaving in a foreign manner. And there's other times you wake up, it's like, yeah, that's the way I want to live. This is one of those dreams where I was a little embarrassed when I woke up. Let me just admit that up front. And so I'm letting you into some of the behind the scenes footage that I wouldn't typically want you to know I would be thinking. But that's part of why this is important. And I'm not saying these are normal thoughts for me. I'm saying this is what was happening in the dream. So he didn't mention me as a good example. He never brings it up. Then he starts saying army things. Now, I don't hang out in the army. I don't recognize the language of the army. I mean, I know certain things. But he starts saying army things. And some of the men are expectant for this, as if they'd been reading some army manual before they came. And they are instant in their responses. So he's saying things, and they're talking back, saying all this army gibberish back to him. And I'm thinking, I have no idea what they're talking about. They seem to know what he is doing and eagerly participate in his banter. They raise their hands at times that I wouldn't even think of raising my hand. So I remember this one illustration. The officer says jokingly, he was probably a Christian, so he says something like, I'm assuming you're all Christians. And for whatever reason, in the dream, that was funny. Okay, like I'm assuming all of you are going to be going to church. And to me, this was a joke, so I'm chuckling at it. But there was a whole group that immediately raised their hands and kept them up. So they're like, we're Christians. And it was just sort of awkward for me because like, no, it was a joke. You don't raise your hand into the air and declare that you're a Christian. And so they're declaring that they were Christians. And after a few seconds, I began to feel awkward because guess who kept their hand up the whole time? We're Christians. We're Christians. This whole group of them. And so I'm a Christian. I'm thinking, well, I don't want them to think that I'm ashamed to be a Christian. So then I'm in this awkward moment where I'm like, yeah, and me too. <laughs> After a few seconds, I felt awkward that my hand wasn't up. So I raised it half-heartedly to indicate that, yes, I am one too. Then the officer asked for some to go with him to something undefined. He sort of mumbles. I'm like, oh, we're going over here. I didn't even understand what he was saying. <laughs> Ten men sprinted to him. I wasn't even considering going. It wasn't even in my mind. I'm thinking, if I don't know exactly what he's talking about, I'm not about to say yes to it. Look, I just showed up. It's only been about 30 seconds since I got here. I'm not going on a mission. 
I'm still trying to figure out. We haven't even talked about anything normal. Hi, my name's Eric Ludi. There's been no discussion on this point. I wasn't even considered going. After all, I didn't even understand his muffled request. Then the officer simply said, more. He was wanting more people to come. So others around me started moving, and I found myself moving. You know how awkward it is when everyone around you is moving, so you find yourself going like, great. Now I need to go. Now I was a part of this smaller group. The officer said something, and I kind of nodded my understanding. So he just said, made a comment. And, but the guy next to me belted out, sir, yes, sir. And I remember thinking, a little overboard, buddy. I remember thinking that it seemed a bit overdone to be yelling that, seeing as how we had just started, and we hadn't even been asked to say that yet. Until I'm asked to say it, I'm not about to say it. In other words, my pride was struck. I came in thinking I was kind of special. I mean, look, I'm a leader, okay? I, I understand manhood. And so, I, I mean, it's a privilege for them to have me in the army. Instead, they're completely ignoring me, and all these young bucks are outshining me. And they're making me look bad. I came in thinking I was kind of special, and all these punk kids were outshining me right off. And so I found myself justifying why such givenness and readiness was unnecessary in this situation. Next, the officer laid on the ground. This is an awkward moment. Without explanation. His legs were sort of up like a dying bug, by the way. The group fell to the ground and did as he did. I was thinking, how juvenile. But I did it. What kind of soldier am I? I'm the begrudging one. You see, God was exposing something that though I am eager and ready in certain areas, have I been bent to truly the way a soldier ought to be in every situation? So, but I did it, realizing that all my college presidenting and my church pastoring had not quite prepared me for this exercise in humility and lowly mimicking. I wasn't comfortable with this dream. And this is right when I wake up. And now I get up on Monday morning and I'm like, boy, I was not prepared for that. Entering an unfamiliar world. You see, I entered the army. Now, whether that's an accurate portrayal of the army, in my dream, I entered a world that I was unfamiliar with. I didn't know the language. I hadn't read the books on it. I didn't know what I was supposed to do. And as a result, I felt awkward, uncomfortable, strange. Most of us, when it comes to Christianity, do not know the book. We do not know what we've entered into. And we're caught off guard by it. And as a result, our natural tendency is to diminish it and say they're over doing it. They're a little extreme. How juvenile. And we don't realize how it works. And that what these men were doing was enthusiastic and they were happy sufferers. Oh, you need more? And they run. They sprinted. And what am I doing? Oh, come on. I don't even know where he's taking us. Come on. I'm not about to go on that. What? The guy's laying on the ground like a dead bug? I have dignity. And as a result, I'm the slowest to respond out of all the men. I don't want to be the slowest to respond to my general. I want to be the first. But there is a layer of pride. There's a layer of self-preservation. There's a layer of human dignity 
that oftentimes stands in the way from us saying, Sir, yes, sir! And not eyeballing, not eye-closing, not eye-rolling, but we say, what you want, you get out of me. Take my right ear, take my right thumb, take my right toe. Entering an unfamiliar world. For many of us, when we come to Christianity, that's exactly what it is. It's an unfamiliar world, and it's okay. You see, when you come in, just don't come in knowing everything, and don't come in as if you're the big shot. Come in humble, saying, I don't understand this, and you'll be fine. It's okay if you don't say, sir, yes, sir, the first time. Just don't make fun of the guy who does. Come in and submit and say, I don't have a clue what I'm doing, but I want to learn. So here's the letter that I could receive. I'm going to teach you the language of a new military system. Private Ludi. I'm like, private? Excuse me? Hey, I'm an important guy. Uh, let me emphasize, Eric. Private Ludi. Private Ludi. It looks like it's time for Sister Petey to visit Iowa. T.S. Tug sent the invite, the bags are packed, and Lenore Magoo is joining the visit. No doubt you'll be sleeping on vinyl, but just remember Owen is when the vinyl gets rough. And just think, for years, Otto B. has lived in Iowa with his wife Emmy and their pet Opie Cat, and they have been going strong for 2,000 years. You'll definitely need to learn the ballad Arkansas, Arkansas for their gardener Stewie sings it all day long. If you ever get in a tough spot, just dial Jody. She'll be quick to answer. In fact, so quick you'll get dizzy dizzy. There will be moments when you will want to take the easier route through town, but always follow Dr. Mister, for he knows the best path to Grandpa Moe's place. Sing the swang song every night prior to bed and make the empty cell your living quarters. Oh, and did I mention that L2S will be your roommate? He's a big guy and tends to take up most of the bed. Don't forget to strike the cheek of the Jebusites prior to leaving every morning, and I can't stress enough, always eat the beets. Colonel Andy will be there in Iowa to answer your questions, and he'll also be your dentist. Godspeed, the heavenly messenger. Ah, uh, what do I do with that? How many of us have entered into Christianity and that's exactly what we hear? I'm going to explain this to you, by the way. It actually makes sense. You are saved by grace through faith. Uh-huh. You must study the Bible. What's the Bible? How do you study? You must have a prayer life. What's prayer? We don't have a clue about any of these things. And yet we have to act like we do. You see, you could nod your head and say, yeah, absolutely, I know what you're talking about. You don't know what I'm talking about. You see, this is a language that you're not familiar with. And they're writing it to you as if you should know it. Isn't the Bible that exact way? Just writing as if, oh yeah, you know what I'm talking about, don't you? Paul's talking to you in, in the book and you're like, oh yeah, Dumbing down the call. So what most of us do is instead of actually learning the language of the Bible, the language of a soldier, we dumb it down. And we try and make it simple. We want to have a street-friendly Christianity. Something the lowest common denominator can understand quickly. And so what we do is we oftentimes diminish the clear word of Scripture to try and make it intelligible to someone instead of teaching someone what it means. We change definitions to make them more palatable. So without discipleship, the luster of the soldier's life is lost. You see, what is needed in the military and what is needed in Christianity is discipleship. Now, we wouldn't call it that in the military. And most people in Christianity don't like calling it that either nowadays, but that's what's needed. It's a disciplined life where you actually train them everything they need to know to thrive and to succeed in the military. So that when they are in a time of crisis, they know precisely how to respond. 
When that rotten tomato hits them in the nose, they know exactly how to respond. When the devil comes and baits them and tempts them, they know exactly how to respond. Well, that's not the case for most of us. We have not been groomed for the battle. And as a result, we act like we're soldiers and we sing songs about being soldiers, but we don't understand the letter. We don't know what we're supposed to be doing. The dumbed down soldier, one who has said a sinner's prayer, one who wears a soldier's uniform, one who has a commander. Who's your commander? Jesus Christ. You see, you're a soldier. You really are, but you're a dumbed down soldier. Now, I'm not talking to you specifically. That's more of a general statement. We have been dumbed down and we've lost the intelligence of Christianity. You see, God designed the military operation. He's given us the manual. We, are, we should know exactly what we're doing. And we should know exactly how to pass it off to someone else. We should not just live it ourselves, but know how to pass on that life to others. Rediscovering the soldier life. The language of the true soldier. Getting familiar with the heavenly jargon. Now some of you are going to say, where did you get this? Iowa, Sister Petey, Lenore Magoo, T.S. Tugs, Vinyl, Owen Is, Otto B, Emmy, Opie Cat, Arkansas, Arkansas, Stewie, Dial Jody, Dizzy Dizzy, Dr. Mr., Grandpa Moe, Swan Song, Empty Cell, L2S, Strike, Always Eat the Beats, Colonel Andy, Dentist. This is our language! And you're like, what are you talking about, Eric? I have read the Bible! Yeah, this is me having fun. This is me giving you an illustration of how a soldier thinks. This is me giving you an illustration of a life that is oftentimes in code and we don't understand it. It's the Spirit of God that awakens us to it. So I'm going to give you a human representation of that, but the spiritual representation is truly us heeding the command of Jesus Christ. He has given us the letter, He's given us His word, but for many of us, it's in code. And until we allow the Holy Spirit to actually train us and unlock that code, and we must know that it is unlockable. His desire is for his soldiers to know the clear command. He is not speaking in gibberish to us. He has given us the Holy Spirit so that we would hear a very clear and distinct message from heaven to earth. A soldier's glossary, knowing the language of the heavenly military. I'm going to go through each of these terms and here's what I can say. This is the code of a soldier. And if you catch this, it could change your life. This literally would change the church of Jesus Christ if we knew this list that I'm about to go through. Knowing the language of the heavenly military. Instant obedience always. So when my mom told me to do something when I was growing up, she had a certain parenting technique, Eric, could you turn off the Atari? It's time for dinner. And what would I say? All right, yeah, I just, yeah. And then she'd come back five minutes later. Eric, didn't I tell you to turn off the Atari? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm just finishing up this game. Well, Eric, I'm asking you to turn that off. And so then she'd come back a few minutes later. Eric Ludi, I told you to turn that off. And she said, I'm gonna count to three. One, two, what am I doing during one and two? I'm still playing. You see, I know I can get all the way to three. This is not instant obedience. When she gets to three, what am I doing? Turning it off. I'm done. Hey, I did it. 
That was me being in control. That was not obedience. That was disobedience. And yet most of us as young kids think of it as obedience. We actually would translate it as, yeah, I obeyed. I turned it off. No, you didn't. You turned it off on your terms. You did not heed those that had authority over you. You actually rebelled. You disobeyed. That's called disobedience. It is a sin. Isn't that amazing? So, what does the biblical record encourage? Command. Instant obedience. Eric, could you turn off the Atari? Yes, ma'am. How quick. Turn the clock on from the moment you know what you ought to do to the point in which you do it. That's the measurement of soul. That's the measurement of the kingdom of heaven. You have grace to be instant. God has not just given you grace so that you can turn it off on the count of three. Any human on earth could do that for the fear of punishment. We are instant in our obedience by the grace of God. Eric, will you do this? Yes, sir. Sir, yes, sir. That's not how we were trained. We did not go through military training spiritually. I don't know what we went through. We may not have even gone to boot camp. We need help. We need instant obedience always. I-O-A. Iowa. The predecided, sir, yes, sir, is your ear smeared with blood. If it is, if your life is consecrated, that means what he asks, you've already said, yes, Lord. You've already said, sir, yes, sir, even before he asked it. And that's why instant obedience and sir, yes, sir, are very closely tied. Sir, yes, sir. You've already said it to God. God, I'm giving you my sir, yes, sir, even before you ask. Whatever you ask, I don't care where it is, where you tell me to go. I don't care if it is over a cliff to my death. My answer is sir, yes, sir. Oh, You notice the frailty of our soul when I even say things like that? Alexander the Great, in one of the sieges that he laid on a hostile castle, it had been, I don't know, weeks, and Alexander shows up, and he realizes this man is not relenting, and no one stops Alexander the Great. So he commands his best and his brightest, his strongest soldiers in front of the castle as everyone looks on, and he calls them to march, and there's a cliff right up ahead into the ocean. And without hesitating, sir, yes, sir, and they start to march. And what do they do? They march right off the cliff. Pretty soon the white flag comes up from the castle. And they realize that if his soldiers are willing to die like that, they will not stop for anything. How about God's soldiers? This is the hallmark of God's kingdom. We are the ones with ears stained with blood. We are the ones who have given up control. Our life is not held dear by us. We entrust it to him, and he can spend it any way he sees fit. Sir, yes, sir. The PDSIS, the predecided, yes, sir. Sir, yes, sir. So that's sis PD, sister PD. Undying enthusiasm. Oh, this is one of my favorite things to meditate upon. This is one of those things that God has been cultivated in my life. And I realize there's so many things that snuff out joy. So many things. But actually, in the kingdom of heaven, there is nothing that truly has the right to snuff it out. You actually can be incorrigibly cheerful, cheerful always, rejoicing always, in all things giving thanks. You have grace for it. Why wouldn't you use it? Isn't that funny? We actually do like to complain. 
We don't really want to be joyful always. Please let me groan. No groaning, only rejoicing. Undying enthusiasm. Could you imagine the soldier? Could you march, Eric, for me over the cliff? Sir, yes, sir. What a privilege. What a privilege. Undying enthusiasm. No matter what the circumstances, no matter what the situation, there's a passion, there's a joy to serve your commander. If he asks you to do something, it is your privilege. Thank you for asking me. Thank you for the request. It is my honor to serve you. It's a little reap-a-cheap. That's the attitude of the soldier. Yes, it is my honor to serve you. It's the choice to enjoy every moment and not let one moment go unloved. Here's our key line. Let not one moment go unloved. You love life and you love every part of it. Every moment, the hard moments, the easy moments, the triumphant moments, the moments that seem like defeat, you love them all and you cherish them. You actually shout for joy in every circumstance. This is a soldier. This is a soldier that every commander longs to have. So let not one moment go unloved. Lenore Magoo. <laughs> to please the commander, to see the general smile. Do you remember the three in the cave? They overheard David's longing wish. Oh, for a cup of water from the well of Bethlehem. And what do they do? To see the general smile. The love mission. They take off towards Bethlehem. Bethlehem is surrounded by Philistines. There's three of them. What are they after? To kill Philistines? No, to get a cup of water. It's an extraordinary love mission. This is what motivates a soldier. To see the general smile. To know that he is satisfied. What would please you, O general? What would please you, O commander of my life? You want a cup from the well of Bethlehem? You got it. And though you risk life and limb to get it, you bring it back, and then your general, with such love in response, to say, you know how much I value your life? And he pours it out saying, I could not drink of such a love gift. The love of the soldier unto the commander is rich. David is known as the beloved. And his men loved him. Jesus is our beloved. And we, as the soldiers of Christ, the mighty men and women of God, love him. To see the general smile. T.S. Tugs. No special exceptions. No silver spoon children. Lowest place or bust. The famous statement in Colorado history is, Pike's Peak or Bust. Which meant, here they are on their little, uh, what do you call those things that went behind horses? And they're like, they'd pass across the country on them. Wagons. They're on their little wagons going out with their axes and shovels. And it's Pike's Peak or bust. We're going for gold. And what bust means is, I mean, we're going to get there whether we die. We are going to get there. And even if our whole little wagon busts open, it doesn't matter. We're going to get there. So that's Pike's Peak or bust. So this is lowest place or bust. You see, your entire desire as a soldier is to take the lowest place, the hardest place, the most difficult assignment. Please give it to me. That's not the way most of us function. Let's just be honest. We want the easiest assignment. When I was in high school and I was going to go on the mission field, God was working in my life. And I, I wanted, there was all these different missionary locations I could go. And I, I found out that Kona, Hawaii was one of them. 
I was like, that's, that's where I want to go. <laughs> and then I was thinking, because I was short on money, I was thinking, I know what I could do. I could work down at the beach and be a towel boy and then go to missionary school in the other hours. I could get a tan and serve Jesus. <laughs> Isn't that brilliant? Yeah, God wasn't in full agreement with that one. You see, no special exceptions. When I show up at the army, I'm like, yeah, I'm sort of an important guy. You know, I already know how to lead. You might want to put me in charge, even without testing me. I'm just that good. Don't think of yourself as important. He is important. Take the lowest place in every situation. The lowest place or bust. LP or bust. LP is the old-fashioned term for vinyl record. So what we have is vinyl. That's what we're upholding. It's the record. It's the LP. Lowest place is our priority. Only one is special. You live with this mentality. This is how you lead your home. This is how you lead the church. This is how you lead a business. It's all about Jesus. His glory is all that matters. We will forsake our lives. We will forsake our money. We will forsake our business. We will forsake our community to make sure he maintains the glory. Everything centers around him, not our comforts, not our pleasures. Only one is special. Yes, you are special to God. Don't worry. But our attitude as a soldier is he's the special. He's the center. He's the one this all revolves around. So, oh, one I-S. Only one is special. Owen is. Oh, to be the first sufferer. At Ellerslie, we train in manhood, and one of the key principles is first sufferer. There's always going to be a first sufferer. Someone's going to suffer in this earth. Who's it going to be? Jesus steps up because he saw the gravity and the penalty that was upon us, and he said, let me suffer. Let me suffer in their place. And our response is, oh, to be the first sufferer. In every situation, there's a bullet flying to harm the weak. The enemy is always after the weak, the poor, the orphan, the widow. That's where he must take out all his frustrations. And so where do we head? We head to the lowest place. The lowest place are bust. And so when we go to that low place and we see that bullet flying, what do we say? Oh, to be the first sufferer. It is our privilege, it is our honor that we would suffer instead of them. Every man in every home has to be willing to be the first sufferer. My illustration that I typically use is I'm sitting at the table and say there's six of us in the family, but we only have food enough for five. Who goes without? Daddy. Daddy has the biggest appetite. Daddy goes without. Daddy is the first sufferer. Say it's a frigid cold night, our heater's gone out and it's negative 10. And all we have is five blankets. Who goes without? Daddy. You see, this is the Jesus model. And as a man, and I'm going to invite all the women into this same principle, oh, to be the first sufferer. Oh, to showcase the nature of Christ in such a way. Oh, to be, TFS, the first sufferer. Oh, to be, auto be. Count the cost. Do you guys know what it costs to be a Christian? It costs everything. What does everything mean? Strangely, it means everything. We have re 
define that. Everything means, you know, Sunday morning, maybe a Wednesday night. You know, every now and then you have to give 10%. You know, there's things like that. Everything actually means everything. It means 100%. Whoever redefined that and how we got away with it, when everything has always meant everything. So everything means everything. E-M-E. Emmy. Constant energy, always given, always sprinting, always eager for more. These are the kind of guys that at work drive you crazy. For the boss, the boss loves them. It's when they're the fellow worker and they're out doing you. When, when the guy says, yeah, I need her, we're going to go over here and go her, her. And you can't even understand what he's saying. And 10 of them sprint over there. They make you look bad. Let's make the world look bad then. Always constant energy, always given, always sprinting, always eager for more, 100% all the time. Every bit of energy that you have, always given. You could say, well, you're going to run out. If you give 100% in every situation, you're going to run out. Oh, you don't know how the kingdom of heaven works then. You see, we give up everything we have, and what does God do? He supplies us. We never run dry. There are times when you'll be tired, and you might not feel like you're 100%, but you still have 100% to give. So say, for instance, you're feeling about 50% strength. You still have 100% of that 50% to give. In every situation, I don't care if you're down to 5% in the tank. You're just hanging in there, leaning against the wall. You still have 5%. You give 100% of it. The Christian life is 100% always. The greatest test for this in my life is always my kids. When I come home and I've had a long day, or in this case, a long weekend, what do the kids want to do right at that exact point in time? They want to wrestle. Why do kids want to wrestle when daddy has no strength? And yet, what do I need to decide in that situation as a soldier? Sir, yes, sir. This is what matters. The battle is still raging, and these kids need the love of Jesus through their daddy. And so, all right, let's go wrestle. 100% all the time. 100% all the time. O-P, cat. Can you see it? O-P, cat. <laughs> always ready, always ruddy. Some of you are like, what in the world? If you've been hanging around Ellerslie, you're like, ah, I know what he's talking about. Dan, when he teaches the young preachers, do you, don't you have a t-shirt, Dan? You like open up and he goes, Pfft. And it says, always be ready. You see, you never know when you're going to be called on, so you need to always be ready. You say, how can you always be ready? Well, that's the command of Scripture. Be ready, be instant, in season and out of season. You never know when the time comes. The virgins with their lamps, always be ready. Always have the oil in your lamp. You never know when you're going to be asked for an answer for that which you believe. Be ready to give at any moment. And as a soldier, you are always ready. You never know when the sneak attack is going to come. You do not want to be found dizzy with alcohol at the very moment the enemy comes. You are sharp always. Always ready. Always ruddy. You know what? Ruddy, we talk about the word red in Scripture is Adam. Adam actually means red. Edom, Esau, the firstborn. Adam and Esau. It means red. And they're red. They're of this earth, earthy. But Jesus, ironically, clothes us in red, but it's a different sort of red. It's a heavenly red. It's blood. And so you have the blood of this earth, and you have the blood of heaven.
And so our term at Elish, I think Dan gave me a t-shirt that says, always be ruddy. And so we have always be in the spirit. Always be ready, always be ruddy. Always be ruddy with the ruddiness of heaven. David came before Goliath ruddy. He came clothed in the fervency of heaven's passion. Always ready, always ruddy. Double Arkansas. Arkansas, Arkansas. I like that one. Spring to action, spring to battle. There's no hesitancy. When you see the Goliath, you say, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he would dare defy the armies of the living God? You spring to action. It says that David sprinted towards Goliath. He mahard. The Hebrew word mahar means to move with liquid ferocity as a lion towards his prey. Who does that? Don't you know how big he is, David? Don't you know how big my God is, says David. You spring to action. You sprint to battle. You fight for the king of kings. You do not hesitate. So spring to action. Spring to battle. Spring to stewie. Don't leave the impossible jobs for the next generation. Remember the 800. Don't let Joshobium outdo you. That might be a little confusing at first. Look at the top line. Don't leave the impossible jobs for the next generation. You know, there are impossible jobs in this earth right now, and they're big. And most of us are saying, well, you know what? It's not my responsibility. It's your generation. This is your watch. This is the hour in which you are alive. Remember C.T. Studd? Send me. The impossible jobs are the ones that the best soldiers long for. General, will you pick me for that job? Eric, you're not quite ready yet. And what should I say? Oh, God, make me ready. Instead, what we have a tendency to do is, oh, God, I've noticed that you didn't choose me for that job. I'm sorry, but I'm really glad you didn't. You see, there is a fear that we oftentimes have of the unknown and the dangerous. But a great soldier begins to learn the secret of being a soldier is knowing and having a confidence in the ability of God to do that which is impossible. And so we are like magnets attracted to impossibilities because you see the glory of God made manifest in the, in the impossible more than in anything else. It says, remember the 800. Joshobium, one of the mighty men of David, went out and took on 800 single-handedly. Mm-hmm. It's called impossible. Could you imagine? These are 800 soldiers. You match me up against three armed men, how do you think I'm going to do if you were a betting person? I don't even want you to answer that question. <laughs> Eric is going to be seriously outmanned and outgunned. Three against one. How about 800 against one? Remember the 800. Remember the God we serve. And so now you'll understand the last line. Don't let Joshobium outdo you. Hey, hey, don't let Joshobium's generation outpace us. We have the same God. Do I hear 801? Mm -hmm. That's the attitude of a heavenly soldier. Don't let Joshobium outdo you. Dial Jody. Don't set down that sword. Eleazar didn't let go of the sword. Cleave to the sword. So Eleazar, well, let me say it this way. The Philistines are marching on a little parcel of land in Israel. And one man stands up to defend this entire 
this parcel land against the entire army, David. But two men stood with David, Eleazar and Shammah. Three against an army. And all it says is that Eleazar's hand grew weary. Could you imagine? That's an understatement. Against an army? How long would it take to fight him off? His hand grew weary, but it says he clave his hand under the hilt of the sword, and the Lord wrought a great victory. Cleave to the sword. Don't set down that sword. You are in the midst of battle. Do not stop now. Do not grow weary. Do not grow tired in well-doing. You will win this battle if you continue. But the key is, if you continue. Cleave your hand under that sword. DS, DS. Don't set down the sword. Dizzy, dizzy. Always take the hardest assignment. The most difficult is the most rewarding. Could you imagine if you lived by that axiom? The most difficult is the most rewarding. That's not the way most of us handle our math assignments. The most difficult is the most rewarding, and yet it's true. The most difficult challenges create the greatest reward. They do. Even, I mean, if we're looking at that, even outside of the kingdom of heaven, when you overcome difficulty, when you take on a challenge, like that one math problem that everyone said, I can't figure it out, and then you figure it out. I remember the Rubik's Cube. I think it's, it's back. But the Rubik's Cube, Cube back in my day, it was like if you had to solve this thing. I mean, if you were going to be in, in our culture, you had to solve the Rubik's Cube. And guess who finally figured it out? I did it! I did it! The most difficult is the most rewarding. So you apply this to the kingdom of heaven. Could you imagine if the soldiers of God in this generation said, where's the most difficult? And we're jostling for positions. Say, God, please, send me. Send me to the lowest place. Send me to the darkest corner. Send me to the most impossible place. The MD is the MR. The most difficult is the most rewarding. The doctor is the mister. Dr. Mister. That's a confusing one for some of you. MD means doctor. MR means mister, just in case you're wondering. <laughs> Don't get distracted by the giant. Grab four more. Remember how many stones David grabbed? The ultimate soldier scene. David steps out with absolute audacity into the most impossible of battles. And what does he grab? He grabs five smooth stones. And many of you could say, because I asked Hudson, why did he grab five? And Hudson said, in case he missed that's what most of us would say. Why did he grab five? Did you know that David knew something going into that battle that you don't? Goliath had four brothers. One for you! One for you! One for you! One for you! And one for you! Grab four more! It's called audacity! Don't get distracted by the giant. You have a job to do. You're going to take this territory for Jesus Christ. You are a soldier of the Most High God. Grab four more. G4 more. G4 more. Grandpa Mo. <laughs> suffer one, suffer all. You are not an isolated unit. You are a soldier amongst other soldiers. You're part of a body, a regiment. And if one man or one woman suffers in your regiment, every one of you suffers. If one of you rolls his eyes, all of you get the penalty. If one of you is injured, all of you feel injured. Man down! Man down! 
We have to learn to be soldiers together. Suffer one, suffer all. Swan saw, swan song. Forsake the common life. We give it up. We get together as soldiers and we say, forsake the common life. We've given it up. We've given up normalcy. We have tasted of something better and we cannot return. Every now and then the world will knock and say, come on, you have to return someday. No, we've forsaken this world. We've forsaken its benefits. We've forsaken its pleasures. And we've found something far more satisfying in Jesus Christ. Forsake the common life. F.T. Soul. Empty cell. I know, it's pushing it. <laughs> Last to sleep, first to rise. William Wallace, when he would, after fighting an entire battle, would check over those that were injured and make sure he found out if anyone had died because he cared about his men. To send messengers, messengers back to the homes of those men to tell them what has happened. To give constant information so he made sure that everyone was fine, everyone was in their tents, and everyone was sleeping. And then he began his plans for the, the strategy for the next day's battle. And who was the first to rise in the morning? General Wallace. Wallace was the last to sleep, the first to rise. As a result, all of his troops must have felt like he was always awake. But he was. He was awake as the protector. And as a man in a home, I tell you what, it's a very, very special thing when the father is the last to sleep and the first to rise. Not always practical, so just so you guys all know that. But there's something about it. It's a symbol of protection. There's always someone watching over you. There's always someone that is alert. There's always someone that's available. It's daddy. A soldier has this mentality. It does not mean that you will always be the last to sleep and the first to rise. It's that you're willing and you're ready to be that one. At any given time, they say, we need a watchman. I'll do it. You just worked all day long. You just fought all day long. You just trudged through 20 miles of mud. I'll do it. You know that you have grace that other men may not have. You know it's there. And so you call upon it in that moment. Ever watchful, always the protector. Last to sleep, first to rise. L2S, last to sleep, first to rise. No man left behind. As a basic principle of a soldier, it is very easy in different moments when the bullets are flying, one of your fellow soldiers has been hit and struck, the enemy is coming on quickly to get on the transport and get out. What is it like as a soldier in that moment? I tell you what, it must tax you at the greatest levels to stop and to realize, suffer one, suffer all. No man left behind. What would Jesus do? Turn back even though they're running straight at you. Sacrificing your life, knowing you're most likely going to die, but you are a soldier. And you cannot leave this man behind just to save your own skin. And carry that one into the transport. Even in pushing him in, you might be shot. And you might be left behind. No man left behind. No MLB. No Major League Baseball. Strike. Always expect to win. No matter how dark it gets, when all seems lost, always expect the battle to turn. 
If you're a soldier who has your king of kings as your commander, you know he always wins. And I don't care how dark the battle looks. I don't care if every single other soldier has fled. You always expect the battle to turn. It's called faith. And you stand resolute and immovable in the midst of the harshest, most difficult, most dark moments on earth. Always ETB2T. Always eat the beets. No muttering. Bold proclamation. Speak clear and distinct. Sir, yes, sir. What? Didn't hear you, soldier. Sir, yes, sir. I didn't hear you. Clear and distinct. Sir, yes, sir. Are you resolute in your soul? Do you know what you believe? Be resolute and be clear and defined in it. Do not be half-hearted about it. Give a clear message with your life. Clear and distinct. You speak and you speak confidently. I'm with Jesus. Sir, yes, sir. You want me to move? We move. You want me to march over the cliff? We march. Clear and distinct. Call Andy, Colonel Andy, clear and distinct. Always honorable, always noble, always the gentleman. Say awe. <laughs> always honorable, always a picture of Jesus. What Jesus would be doing, you do as a soldier. If he would lay down his life in that situation, you lay down your life in that situation. He is gentle, he is merciful, he is kind, he is loving, and you must always be. I know those aren't the typical thought attributes of how a soldier behaves, but we are not a soldier like the world. We are a soldier like Jesus Christ. And how he did it is how we do it. We come to bind the brokenhearted. We come to heal the wounded. We come to deliver the oppressed. We come to break the jaws of the evildoer and remove the prey from their teeth. We come to be the soldier in this generation. 2 Timothy 2. Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Listen to this line. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. And if a man also strive for masteries, yet he is not crowned except he strive lawfully. The husbandman that laboreth must be partake, first partaker of the fruits. Paul says, consider what I say, and the Lord give thee understanding in all things. You're a soldier. May the Lord give us understanding in what it means to endure hardness as a good soldier. And that no man that warreth entangles himself with the affairs of this life. We have chosen an uncommon life. We are not like this world. We do not live as this world. We live as we have been assigned by our captain. Not for a crown. Why do we do this? Why would we choose this life? It's not for a crown, but for his pleasure. For the pleasure of our general. First, it's an amazing thought, but this type of life as a soldier is just what is reasonable. It's what it says in Romans 12. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. It's actually according to even the logic of heaven. This is just what you should be doing. This is just reasonable. A plus B equals C. You plus Jesus equals a true soldier. You in? 
It's also just what is expected. This is a really interesting scripture. Jesus is giving an illustration, and of which of you, having a servant plowing or tending sheep, will say to him when he has come in from the field, come at once and sit down to eat? But will he not rather say to him, prepare something for my supper and gird yourself and serve me till I have eaten and drunk, and afterward you will eat and drink? Does he thank that servant because he did the things that were commanded him? I think not. So likewise, you, when you have done all those things which you are commanded, say we are unprofitable servants. We have done what was our duty to do. When we are all said and done in this kingdom, when we have served, our expectation isn't even a thank you. We've just done what was expected. The most basic thing, we're servants of the Most High God who has set us free. We've come and returned and said, pierce our ear. What you say we will do, we do not clamor for our own belly to be filled, but for his belly to be filled. That's our job. And that's what he lays out. However, we have a very, very gracious king who calls us friends. He doesn't just call us servants. He doesn't just call us soldiers. He calls us friends, brother. He calls us children, sons, daughters. But this is true. And this is the way we live as soldiers. And if we receive a crown, so we're not doing it for a crown, but what if you happen to receive a crown? There is only one place that it can and must go. The four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne, Jesus, and worship him that liveth forever and ever, and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. To his feet. We throw our crowns at his feet, and where do we go? To his feet. Where does a soldier find his place? Not standing before the commander, but kneeling. We are at the feet of the king. A soldier awaits his command. So, uh, commander general, I await your orders. And he will wait there for days on end in waiting position. His ears are opened. His thumb is given. His right toe is consecrated. Where you send me, I will go. So to his feet, the dwelling place of the true soldier, Mary's place. Where did Mary find her place? It's called the better place. It's called the better part. It's at the feet of Jesus. Mary lived there. And it's, it's not the place we naturally gravitate. And yet that's the place of the true soldier. It's at the feet of Jesus, waiting upon him, heeding his word. What does Mary do? She chooses the better part over and over and over again. She takes everything that is precious to her, her spikenard, and she breaks it out upon Jesus. You see, she chose something that was right. Have we chosen it? It's funny to call Mary the example soldier, and yet she is. The place where the gospel comes alive. It's at the feet of Jesus. Verily I say unto you, this is after she has broken the spikenard upon Jesus, and the disciples, mainly Judas, have cried out in horror that such a waste was made. And Jesus says, Verily I say unto you, wheresoever this gospel shall be preached in the whole world, there shall also this, that this woman hath done, be told for a memorial of her. G.I. Mary. She is the example soldier, the one who gives up everything, knows her position at the feet of Jesus to wait upon his command. 
and then to give up everything, all her pleasures, all her comforts, all her security that is outside of Jesus Christ. She gives it up and says, I'm at your beck and call. And that's the gospel. And that story is the gospel. Have you come to Jesus and given him all that you are? And said, set your life before him and said, that which I previously trusted in, my spike darn, I have poured out that I may place my entire confidence in you. The return of the fire of Jehovah. Remember Uriah? The fire of Jehovah. Are we ready for that to return to the church of Jesus Christ? Really living the soldier's life. Private Ludi. It looks like it's time for Sister Petey, the pre-decided, yes, sir, yes, sir, to visit Iowa. Instant obedience always. T.S. Tugs, to see the general smile, sent the invite. The bags are packed and Lenore Magoo, let not one moment go unloved, is joining the visit. No doubt you'll be sleeping on vinyl, lowest place or bust, but just remember Owen is. Only one is special when the vinyl gets rough. And just think, for years, Otto B., owed to be the first sufferer, has lived in Iowa with his wife, Emmy. Everything means everything. And their pet, Opie Cat, 100% all the time, and they have been going strong for 2,000 years. You'll definitely need to learn the ballad, Arkansas, Arkansas, always ready, always ready, for their gardener, Stewie, spring to action, spring to battle, sings it all day long. If you ever get in a tough spot, just dial Jody. Don't let Josh Obium outdo you. She'll be quick to answer. In fact, so quick that you'll get dizzy, dizzy. Don't set down the sword. There will be moments when you will want to take the easier route through town, but always follow Dr. Mister. The most difficult is the most rewarding. For he knows the best path to Grandpa Moe's. Grab four more. Play. Grandpa Moe's place. Sing the swan song. Suffer one, suffer all. Every night prior to bed and make the empty cell. Forsake the common life, your living quarters. Oh, and did I mention that L2S, last to sleep, first to rise, will be your roommate? He's a big guy and tends to take up most of the bed. Don't forget to strike. No man left behind. The cheek of the Jebusites prior to leaving every morning. And I can't stress enough, always eat the beets. Always expect the battle to turn. Colonel Andy, clear and distinct, will be there in Iowa to answer your questions, and he'll also be your dentist. Always honorable. Godspeed, the heavenly messenger. Isn't that fun? Don't you want to be a soldier? I want to be able to write letters like that. The heavenly soldier. The heavenly soldier is the twice-born. By the way, everything that I've just enunciated to you is impossible in your own pockets and your own strength. It's only available to the twice-born, those indwelled by the heavenly soldier himself, enabled to live a life that otherwise would be impossible, one who doesn't look to his own strength and courage to do the work, but has learned how to go to heaven's war chest for the ability to fight. Well, dear saints and soldiers, we have a job to do. It's time for the return of Uriahs, the G.I. Joes of heaven. You, maybe most of you in this room, are women. That makes no difference. Quit you like men and be strong. Let's demonstrate the fiery brilliance of his glory to all this world. We are the twice born and we have access to the grace of God that will change us from mere men and women into supernatural demonstrations of what only God can do in this earth. Thank you so much for listening to this message by Pastor Eric Ludy, pastor at the Church of Ellerslie in Windsor, Colorado. 
Please feel free to make copies of this message, but do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without express written permission. If you do have any questions, comments, or just need more information about Ellerslie, please visit our website at www.ellerslie.com. Again, that website is www.ellerslie.com. For Ellerslie Mission Society, this is Ben Zorns cheering you on as Christ cultivates his set-apart life within you.